0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Gals Chat Podcast. This is your co-host Amy and in today's episode of the podcast we're interviewing Adia Roy who is going to talk to us about her journey as a woman of color in manufacturing engineering. This episode is sponsored by Steel Chic Shoes, who offer women's fashionable steel toe shoes. Not only are they certified to meet OSHA standards, but they are lightweight and comfortable. The shoes are designed to look good and keep you safe so you can confidently walk your own path. Steel Chic has a special offer for all Gals Chat listeners and guests. Use promo code ENGINEERINGGALS to get free shipping and a free water bottle when you purchase a pair of shoes. Now let's introduce this week's guest. Adia is an incoming micro influencer on Instagram who has always felt underrepresented in society as a South Asian bona fide nerd. She has been growing her platform for over two years and enjoys being an older sister mentor figure and coach to many South Asian and other women in STEM. Her journey through college was far from typical or easy, but getting two job offers and switching jobs mid-pandemic as an international student was a wake-up moment. She needed to realize that she wanted to help others with the mentorship she missed growing up. Hey, Adia. Hi, Amy. How are you? Good, I am good. I'm really excited to learn more about you and all the things that you have been doing and all of the challenges that you have overcome. So, how about we start with you telling us a little bit more about your journey growing up? I know that you were an international student. You know, when did you pretty much migrate to the US and then get started in engineering?
1: Yeah. So I actually had a pretty non-traditional childhood. I grew up as an expat kid. So my dad was being moved for projects all around the world. So ended up growing up in four continents, uh, finally found Purdue as my home. And I was very, I was actually very unbiased when it came to my college selection because I'd lived in so many countries. So I actually applied to colleges in like four countries and somehow Purdue still beat everyone out. So I'm super happy. No regrets. Uh, So I came back, I lived here earlier as a child, but I came back as an adult at 19 um, to go to Purdue and I ended up, I actually started as a chemical engineer, uh, but I switched into industrial engineering about two years in uh, because I think the chemical industry was having a lot of ups and downs and I wanted to almost more generalize my degree rather than being more specific. So with that, I took a step back and I did industrial engineering and I graduated last year in 2020. And I've been working for about a year and a half now.
0: That's so cool. Congrats on graduating. Thank you. So what countries did you live in before moving around? And yeah, which ones have you lived in? I guess you said you lived in four different countries. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, I think it was like a mix of cool and trauma as a kid. Right. (laughs) It's like, it's a whole identity crisis. Like I never know. when People ask me where I'm from it's like a deer in headlights. I'm like, and I've learned the best answer is that's a loaded question. If they really mm-hmm. care, they'll be like you and they'll ask. Otherwise, sometimes they'll just be like, okay, we, yeah, whatever <laughs> you live yeah. in Seattle. It's all that matters. Um, so actually mm-hmm. I was born and raised in Singapore up till about the age of 12. And then I lived in California for most of middle school and early high school. I finished high school in Australia Um, Then I took a gap year in Scotland. I did about one year of uh, like my general ed courses and everything in Houston before transferring to Purdue. Did
0: you feel like there was a big cultural shift or shock between moving
1: to each different country? Hundred percent. Like, and it's weird, but I feel I now I feel like a piece of each of those countries is in me, so I don't one hundred percent relate to anyone from any country. so interesting (laughs) it's really weird and I recently met somebody who had lived in I think two countries in common and I was like okay we're like 50% the same and and he was like maybe maybe not because then he had moved about after that and then before that as well so we had two countries in common but the other two were so different so I think it's it's weird culturally I think it gave me a really good idea of what I wanted as an adult um, because I got to see my dad working in very different cultures uh, so one of the reasons why I chose to stay in the U.S. was I think U.S. had one of the best work-life balances from what I saw my dad have. So um, Asian work culture is obviously super workaholic, um, super hustle, you know, almost like backbiting to a certain sense where you want to cut the competition, get everybody out of the way. And that's what I initially grew up with. And I, I think I would survive if I went back, but I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't choose to. And so... Mm-hmm. That's and then Australian culture being the complete opposite uh, is totally laid back. People barely work 35 hours from what I saw. Like, pulling Mm -hmm. people, making people stay their full 40 was a difficult task. And they're so focused on like having like an active lifestyle, family fun, and everything, which is great. But like not for my 20s. So I always say I'm like I would retire in Australia. Like the last couple years, um, send me off to an assignment in Australia and let me find a nice home there. <laughs> so I think it's all about like I think their, their life is very peaceful and they're like always like enjoying every moment. And work pays for life. Rather than here yeah, we like, okay. live to work, they work to live. Mm-hmm. And then the UK, I was sadly in Scotland. I really do want to go back and like actually live in England. But Scotland mm-hmm. was just straight up a time machine. Like I felt like I had gone back ten years.
0: Oh, and it was in like, terms was of running... like technology or like mindset of people or
1: every. It felt like everything. <laughs> like, first of all, like the the environment, right? Like the buildings look old. Like you know, the newest iPhone would come out. But I think in general, in terms of like, it's kind of like the. I want to say it's kind of like the Midwest. Mm -hmm. in America where they kind of they're a little more more traditional Um, even when you look at like outfits and stuff you know in the middle of Indiana or Kentucky or like that whole region Ohio right like you're not running at the same speed as the west coast or the east coast so I think Scotland just kind of it lags a little bit behind it's culturally more conservative Um, kind of very similar to portions in the US as well so it felt like a time machine going there. And it was a very quaint lifestyle. Uh, I, nobody had cars. Everybody kind of walks everywhere. Everything's walking distance. Our college campus was like super walkable. Um, nice. I was doing research there. And so I, I got to meet a lot of people there, a lot of locals, which is super interesting. Um, so yeah, I think all of them had like its own charm. I would say definitely I didn't relate to Houston at all. I think I was too old by the time I got to Houston. So I was relatively young when I moved to the other places. But moving, I moved to Houston at like 19-ish. And uh-huh. I was only there for two semesters. And then I took a quick transfer to Purdue. And and then I was there for about five years almost. Uh, so the the balance ended up, even though my parents still live in Houston, I still don't think I call Houston home. Which people find really weird. Like, they'll be like, Where do your parents live? I'm like, They live in Houston. Oh, so Houston's home. I'm like, No, no, no. I got to correct you there. Houston's not home. I don't Uh have a home. You don't have a home. Weird. It's like a nomad. (laughs) Right? And like, especially since my parents sold their property in Singapore, I am a Singapore citizen. So, rightfully, if anything were to happen to my visa status here, I was supposed to go back to Singapore. But my parents live here. Yeah, that makes sense. And I was just like, I don't have a home anymore.
0: You're just, it's new. It's a new home. Like you've created your own home now in Seattle. And then your parents have their own home now in, in Houston. Yeah. Wow. Well, that must be very like enriching childhood. But also, like you said, it could be also traumatic because you're in so many different types of environments and you do experience that cultural shock. And then you mentioned that you started as a chemical engineer and then you became a mechanical engineer. How did you even first get introduced into engineering? Like what made you realize that that was the career that you wanted?
1: Yeah. So I actually, so both my parents are engineers for background. So they're both electrical engineers. Um, And I was always good at biology and that in Indian families, especially I found they're like, you're good at bio, become a doctor. Yeah, that's so true. I I can really go for it. Yeah. And so when I was in Scotland, I actually spent the year doing cancer research and was in and out of the hospital every day, understanding what doctors do, understanding what all of the work goes behind. And I was like, I want to see if I want to do this. And so initially, I was super excited about it. And then by the end of it, I was like, nah, this is not it. Yeah. Um, So when my parents moved to Houston, I moved with them. I was still unsure about what I wanted to do. So I started taking my gen ed courses and I was like, okay, but what do I really want to do? And what ended up being the case was my dad has worked in the oil and gas industry for over 20 years now. And so I ended up picking, and I think part of this is part of that same trauma about the unknown. I picked what was familiar to me. So I picked chemical engineering because I was like, okay, my dad, you know, raised us with an oil and gas salary and his life was super fun. He got to do a lot of different things. He had a super fluid, like moving around even laterally and horizontally. And like, he took a break for his degree, stuff like that. So I was like, I think this is a pretty flexible area to be in. Saw a lot of women, met a lot of his coworkers. They all seemed happy. And I was like, that's (laughs) all I care. (laughs) That's how I picked chemical engineering originally obviously completely not aware of the fact that like industries can often affect your hiring, et cetera. And so being an international student, I didn't realize that a lot of the oil and gas companies didn't sponsor. And additionally, whenever, whenever, yeah. And oil and gas would always, it always goes in cycles. If you graduate in a downswing, it's not your fault, but you're not going to get a job.
0: (laughs) It's so bad. Yeah, I we had an oil and gas program at my hometown university. And it's just all of my friends that were in that field, by the time they graduated, it was really difficult for them to get a job. Yeah. Because of that, like you were saying, that downtime. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so that's, it's like, and it's so funny, because when you look at all these rankings about, you know, engineering salaries, petroleum is always at the top. Yeah, William's Mm -hmm. always the number one paid engineering major, except you consider the fact that it's the ups and the downs, right? When it's up, it's really good. But when it's down, it's down for years, like it's down for like two or three years at a time. So all of that, my first internship was really, really hard to get. So was my second one. I was doing almost like 500 to 600 applications to one interview. And then the one interview led into the internship I got. So that was also pure luck. Wow. So I was like, this is, and I thought this was normal. Obviously, we always think our lives are the norm.
0: And Mm -hmm. I had
1: friends who were in IE who a lot of them went more towards the tech supply chain side. And they were not on the manufacturing side, but they were talking about how industrial engineering, like they had their own specific career fair as well as the regular career fair and almost every company. Was hiring for industrial engineers because we were so generic and we could fit into every industry, and this is that's when it kind of clicked in my head, and I was like, "You're right. Like, I'm. Why am I restricting myself with my degree? Because now only chemical plants and facilities are going to hire me if I have a chemical engineering degree. Like, I was like, Why did this never strike me? You know? So <laughs> that's when I, I kind of um, I figured this out before the summer, and I had a, a summer internship lined up in a chemical facility and while I was working there, I realized that none of the stuff that we learned in school was actually applicable at work. And so I kind of did like a, almost like a reverse engineering thing. I took all the concepts that I learned at work, which was a lot of lean manufacturing. We were a bottling facility. So the process engineering principles, lean manufacturing, um, six Sigma for quality, all of those Mm -hmm. things. And I backtracked it. And I asked my friends, I'm like, so who learned this in school? And the industrial engineers said yes.
0: Oh, and so industrial like, engineers learn about processing. Process yeah, so industrial engineers get okay. a very
1: basic process engineering degree. It's okay, I like, it. It's about optimization. So it's not just about process engineering. It's I guess process in more ways. So it's usually either supply chain and or physical product.
0: Uh, right.
1: So And I was like, so I was already thinking about industrial engineering. Now they have confirmed my doubts. And so I finally put all the all the information together, and I was like, "Okay, hey, I'm I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna switch." Uh, coincidentally, Purdue's industrial engineering program was actually better than their chemical engineering program in terms of like oh. national rankings and stuff. So then I was like, "Oh, this opens up even more doors for me." And the next year, I had eight interviews on one career fair day, and I wow. was like oh my God, this is the change I needed. Like this is, I just opened up all the doors for myself, right? And so it was really crazy how it was such small things that added up over time that I noticed and it Mm -hmm. ended up being like the whole difference.
0: So you would say like the main challenge you had was basically the major you picked first. And then, but after you got to Purdue, like what were some of the challenges that you felt that you were facing as an international student?
1: I think one of the biggest things, I think Purdue, especially the the Indian population at Purdue, so Purdue being in Indiana, there isn't a lot of in-state Indian population. Most of the Indian population comes from out of state and or out of the country. And there was just a really big, like, click divide between immigrants and non-immigrants. And me being none of the above, because I had lived here for a couple years, I've had my American Mm -hmm. accent since I was a teenager. I sounded like one group, but I actually belonged in the other. Yeah, And so I, it took me a very long time to kind of balance it out. And I ended up being more towards the immigrant side. And I had more friends that were immigrants because a lot of them were facing the same kind of job struggles and other things with me. But at the same time, even there, I would often feel like a pang of jealousy from other people because my parents lived two hour flight away. And mm-hmm. for most people, they would have to take a 16 to 17 hour flight to go home, right? So it was kind of a weird space in terms of like finding peers or people who felt similar or were going through similar things. Uh, My green card was stuck for like almost all of college. Um, We had applied before I got in and Mm -hmm. it was almost here for pretty much the entire four years. So all of those things I felt very lonely because nobody would relate. The immigrants were like, well, at least your parents can get one. And then the American citizens would be like, oh, I was born here. I have no idea what that struggle is like. And it was just kind of this in-between ground where I couldn't really find either side. But other than that, I think I found a really – I think Purdue – I think Purdue was a really great school for resources for international students in terms of – resumes or jobs or finding out how do you answer the do you sponsor question or getting internships and making sure that you can get the best out of your time in the U.S. if you are going back after four years and probably how to stay longer than four years. So I think that's one of those things I later learned that students had even bigger struggles when they went to smaller schools that had smaller international student populations is there weren't like we had like PDF documents and we had so many like sessions even like filing taxes as an international student we had we used to have like sessions that they would teach us because we would have part-time jobs on campus and we would never have like we would have never filed taxes before that so there were so many resources for us that I honestly think I had it relatively easy in terms Mm -hmm. of getting those resources um, versus a lot of other students that I've since then connected with
0: yeah so you would say that Purdue University was the resource that really helped you. And their resources were the ones that really helped you as an international student.
1: Yeah, I definitely think in terms of like, you know, covering their bases, I I definitely don't think like, I think it was, you know, survive to thrive kind of difference. Like I think surviving as an international student, Purdue was really good at. How do Mm -hmm. you pass your four years, make sure you don't get on probation, make sure you're taking all the classes you need, don't violate your visa in any way. But I still think it took a lot of extra effort to succeed as an international student, besides just being good at classes. That's something that everybody was like, oh, we can go to class and study. But a lot of kids I saw graduated after four years with close to 4.0 degrees, but they had never focused on getting internships. And they expected that they were going to graduate and there would be a job.
0: Okay. So then how did you know that you wanted to get an internship? Like, Was that through just yourself or your parents or
1: so for me one I wanted to use my internships to test out different companies so I used my internships to kind of test out what a future company would be like before I went full-time funny I didn't end up actually joining full-time at any of the companies but I I wish I had compared to the one I actually joined but Mm -hmm. I I think for me it was just I wasn't a stellar student by the time I came to college. I think that was one of the big, the trauma parts (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. of moving around so much. I was always overcompensating with academics. I I graduated as valedictorian. I was, you know, almost a national merit scholar, but then I wasn't a citizen. It was weird. But I was always at the top of the class. And that was the one thing that my parents have always really pushed me to do. And so coming into college, I was like, okay, I'm not. I don't think I have it. I don't think I have the energy to be a 4.0 student anymore. I, I Now that I'm yeah. in, I just, C's get degrees. I want, I just want them <laughs> through. And so for me, I think it was more about, I wanted to make sure I had the job at the end, but I also knew that I wouldn't be able to give them a 4.0. So for example, yeah. like the big four consulting firms, every time I walked up to them, they were like, do you have a 3.8? I was like, hell no. And like, that way. So I was like, oh, okay, for yeah. me to get a good job, There needs to be something that they're hiring me for. So I was like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to beef up my resume instead. So I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to focus on my resume side. And that's what I'm going to provide them is I'm a girl who works really hard, who does the stuff, but I also have like really bad testing anxiety. So that's another thing. I was like, and college is like, if there's like tests almost every week, right? Yeah. So I was just like, I'm going to do what I'm good at is my long-term goals. I'm going to have a really good resume. I'm going to have internships every year which was the three years at Purdue, I did have internships. So I met my goal. And then I was that like, that's sense. all I'm going to do. And hopefully that's enough. That, that's what my yeah. goal is.
0: So your internships pretty much help you land your job after you graduated. Yeah. So then you got to the workforce. What was
1: that experience like? Yeah. My first job was a whole other whirlwind. Like I had worked at three other companies that were great. I had never had complaints about them. Um, and being that I graduated in the middle of the pandemic, I had a couple of offers in progress that they rescinded. But the one that stuck was, uh, was the one I accepted was because I only had one option. So I was hoping to have options, but I had none. (laughs) Um, Coincidentally, it was about 10 minutes away from Purdue. So I didn't actually move apartments or anything. So it didn't Mm -hmm. really feel like graduating. I didn't even take grad photos because I was like, Purdue is right here. Like, Eh us <laughs> some other time. Like it's not a big deal. Uh I still lived on campus for the entire time. Even after my first lease ended, I still stayed on campus because it was so comfortable. Which is yeah. weird because I grew up moving around all the time. And now here I was getting to stay when I had spent four years at Purdue telling myself that I would leave Indiana. And then I ended up staying. Uh, yeah. But I got a job at Subaru, uh, and I think it was my first time working for what I would call a foreign company. Uh, and so all the other companies I'd worked for were American. The third company I'd interned with, I was in a it was an American company that had acquired a German company. So in our mini management, there was German management, but then above them, it was again American. So there was a lot of American German culture mixed. And again, European and American culture is definitely closer than Asian and American culture. So it wasn't all too, all too, that was nothing shocking about it. Um, but having joined at Subaru, I think there was a lot of things I learned about the workplace that I had never anticipated. So, first things being uniforms. So we actually had dictated uniforms, which I surprisingly do at Kenworth now too, even though this is an American company, but I think it was something that the Japanese had originally started to make sure everybody felt equal. And so to make sure everybody there felt like there was an open door policy, we had no executive offices either. So everybody sat near each other, which means that like, you're not, you don't have the normal cubicle gossip. Mm -hmm. You can't have cubicle gossip because your boss is in the next cubicle and his boss is in the next cubicle. Mm -hmm. So it was really weird to me that everybody was kind of sitting around in the same area. It was very, I would say like almost like very exposed. There also weren't cubicles, they were flat desks. So there wasn't any form of privacy between A, B, and C. Uh, And being during the pandemic, it was even weirder because you would have to eat lunch at your desks. And then you're facing somebody else without their mask off. And you're like, that's scary. You, you're yeah, and I- 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 it, was, it was all sorts. And then because we were all in one room, there were no executive offices or anything. There were 500 of us in one big room. It was basically like an event hall with 500 people sitting there. So all those wow. things about six foot distancing, it was legally six foot distance. If you looked at the whole facility But our desks couldn't be six foot apart, you know? Yeah, Yeah. So all of those things kind of more like first week shocks. And then as I went through, I started to notice like other systemic differences from what I'd seen in other companies, including the leadership structure. So being that Subaru is a Japanese company, and they only had one office in America, one office manufacturing headquarters was everything combined. uh, Their top three layers were actually assigned to be Japanese even in America. So no American could get up to the top three levels. It was kind of, there was like almost like a a pyramid, but it had been chopped off.
0: Weird. Oh, so they would never promote, like that was like part of the company's policy was discrimination that like no American could be one of those top three positions or
1: Or was that just like
0: they just made it that way?
1: No, it was it was a policy, not so much like an American. More than it had to be a Japanese person who came from their headquarters and their design facility back home. So they would send these executives on three or four year expat assignments at a time. But those those positions at the top were all kind of upper management rotational for those people. Not and then can you
0: okay? And then can you explain what expat
1: means? Yeah, an expatriate assignment is basically, well, there's either military side or corporate side is basically when a company moves you within the company, but to a different country for the purposes of sharing your expertise on the other side. So usually, like two to three year assignments, and you either help launch a product or you fill in for a position for a couple years. So you get to learn about how the same company operates in a different country, and then usually come back.
0: Yeah. Because I remember watching one of your reels. You said that you're working at a company where women were questioned for being on their phones. They were questioned for doctor's appointments. You were denied more work and then told that you didn't work enough.
1: Yeah. All true. That is crazy. All true. And also no women in leadership.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Gals Chat Podcast. This is your co-host Amy and in today's episode of the podcast we're interviewing Adia Roy who is going to talk to us about her journey as a woman of color in manufacturing engineering. This episode is sponsored by Steel Chic Shoes, who offer women's fashionable steel toe shoes. Not only are they certified to meet OSHA standards, but they are lightweight and comfortable. The shoes are designed to look good and keep you safe so you can confidently walk your own path. Steel Chic has a special offer for all Gals Chat listeners and guests. Use promo code ENGINEERINGGALS to get free shipping and a free water bottle when you purchase a pair of shoes. Now let's introduce this week's guest. Adia is an incoming micro influencer on Instagram who has always felt underrepresented in society as a South Asian bona fide nerd. She has been growing her platform for over two years and enjoys being an older sister, mentor figure, and coach to many South Asian and other women in STEM. Her journey through college was far from typical or easy, but getting two job offers and switching jobs mid-pandemic as an international student was a wake-up moment. She needed to realize that she wanted to help others with the mentorship she missed growing up. Hey, Adia. Hi, Amy. How are you? Good. I'm good. I'm really excited to learn more about you and all the things that you have been doing and all of the challenges that you have overcome. So how about we start with you telling us a little bit more about your journey growing up. I know that you were an international student. You know, when did you pretty much migrate to the U.S. and then get started in engineering?
1: So being a lot, again, a lot of it being a traditional asian household if you're sending someone away for 3 to 4 years it's not going to be a woman so i don't know if they had women on their side of leadership in japan but they were not the ones coming to america and therefore the culture if you have if you imagine the top 3 layers of upper management being all japanese male mm-hmm. and then almost the next one or two layers were automatically the people they were interacting with the most was also male but american male and they were, mm-hmm. it's almost like they had perpetrated their type of people throughout. So it was super crazy. There were fixed hours. Wow. Um, I, <laughs> I'd never seen. Yeah. So like I was late I, on day one, I was 15 minutes early. Day two, I came in 15 minutes late. I was like, okay, I, I woke up early yesterday. I can sleep in today. And I got yelled at for being late. And I was like, what do you mean late? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> and they were like, you have to be here by 830. I was like, like on the dot they're like we expect you to be here by 8 15 actually like 8 30 is oh. the, the maximum and so that was kind of where i started to realize that there were rules around working in this place but previously it's just do your job and do your job mm-hmm. uh so that's when i started to notice the different rules so one day i had to leave early for a doctor's appointment and we worked eight thirty to 5 which means I couldn't get an appointment before work because the doctor's offices weren't open before eight thirty, or after work because you're usually closed by five. And so I said, I was like, Hey, can I leave an hour early? And so he was just, um, so normally again, if you're salaried, nobody's counting your 40 hours. Right. So my manager was like, no, you can't leave an hour early. So he said, if you leave an hour early for your doctor's appointment, you have to make sure that you stay an hour late on Thursday." Like the next Even though
0: you're salaried, yeah. Even though I'm so, salaried.
1: yeah. And so I was like, okay. And I thought that was normal. Again, you assume your life is normal. And I did that. I was the first amongst our group to have a doctor's appointment. Uh, and one of my coworkers actually had a dog who was going through surgery. So he had pre-op visits, operation, and then post-op visits. He left early four or five times in a week for about 2 to 3 weeks and never was asked to make up the time. And I was just shocked. And so I asked him, I'm like, "Are you coming in on Saturday that I like don't see you?" And he's like, "No, we're salaried. Why would we do that?" <laughs> and I was like, "Wow. Okay." I was like, "Do you remember that time I had to leave early?" He's like, "Yeah." I was like, "I was told to stay an extra hour the next day." And he was like, "I think you should write this down and see if you find a pattern." Yeah. And so that's when I wrote it down. I started to speak to other women that had been working there that was similar age group. And all of us also noticed one thing. So Subaru paid for overtime. So if you were working weekends, they would actually pay you more money. Uh, So a lot of people were huge workaholics and they would work like they would purposely schedule projects on Saturday, Sunday, and they would work almost like 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week. So when me being me, and I was new, I was like, hey, I'm sure there are a bunch of these project engineers who need an assistant on the weekends to make sure their project is running smoothly, somebody to stay with the contractors, yeah, simple stuff. I can do that. And I was told no. And I was like, and they were like, no, 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 you're just a trainee, blah, blah, blah. I gave up. One of the other guys asked the same question. And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. you have an interest in like, car engines, right? So we have this engine like project going on. Why don't you go work there for a bit? And he would get to come in every Saturday and Sunday. Wow. When I wanted to. It's not that I it's not that I was, you know, it's not one of those situations where they're sitting in a boardroom being like, oh, is a woman, she probably won't want to come in on the weekends. I had explicitly asked to and they mm-hmm. were like, nah, you're good. Enjoy your weekend. Have uh, you yeah, know have fun with your friends. And right. And then the other side, when a man wanted more work, they made it happen. And so I started to see these kind of discrepancies. And then there was a lot of, I would say, racist assumptions. Hmm. So everybody in our workplace was pretty much either Caucasian, American, and or Japanese from Japan. Um, There weren't even like Japanese from America or like Caucasians from Japan. There was just a very distinct divide. The Japanese, in fact, were like not very fluent in English either. So we had a bunch of translators who would sit around the office and almost every meeting used to have a translator in it. Uh, But the thing I started to notice after a little bit of time is Asian assumptions is what I want to phrase it as. So sitting in a room full of American employees, people would always say things. They would be like, okay, so for this meeting, like you're going to want to make sure that you do this. Or like you're gonna want to make sure you guys don't say anything. You guys sit in the last row at the back. And I'm like, we're invited to the meeting. Why would we sit at the last row in the back? And they're just like, b- because you're the kids. That's how that's how Asian culture is. You're gonna want to. You you guys are the least senior people, so you want to sit all the way at the back. You don't want to get in anyone's way. And I was like, is this an assumption or is this like somebody that's something that somebody said? You know.
0: Mm-hmm. And we
1: had a we had a. We had a training. Um, so every year we would send about like 30 to 40 people to Japan for a couple months, about two or three months um, when it came to new product launches. And during this training, um, we were being trained on how Japanese culture works. It's really okay. hard to not be racist when a bunch of white people are telling you about another culture.
0: <laughs> that is Oh my gosh, I just like everything you're telling me is just blowing my mind. And I, I've i never worked, I've always worked for American companies. So I've, I haven't had that experience to that like extreme yet. But um, everything that you're telling me, like, it makes me wonder, like, did you have similar experiences at other American companies too after you left or...
1: No, no, I've never. I've never. No. But I also left the Midwest. I was like, if there's any situation that the Midwest and or Japanese culture, I was like, maybe it's just a bad combination of the both. I just left the Midwest. I was like, yeah, let's okay. come back to the West Coast. Let's see where there's <laughs> diversity.
0: Yeah. So then how did you pretty much, you know, throughout your career, what has your experience been with diversity in the workplace? And how did you advocate for yourself?
1: Yeah, so I think my first company, I worked in a corporate setting, so never really had any issues um, because there was somebody from every walk of life. Um, my second workplace was a very small one. So we were a bottling facility, which means most everything was already automated. So there were about like 50 employees uh, hourly and about five of us that were salaried. And mm-hmm. out of them, a lot of them were actually women. Everyone besides our engin- our plant engineer and our plant manager Everyone else is women. And so I never, and I think a couple of them were Latina, a couple of them were like part Native American. I saw a lot of, even amongst like five people, or like I think it was six or seven, there was diversity. And so I never really noticed it. Uh, My third internship was, and these two were in Houston. My third internship was in Michigan. On the west coast, so not, not the east side where there are bigger cities. And that's when I first started to notice um, there were two female interns. We were two of us that were uh, manufacturing engineering interns. All the Emmys were guys. And somehow the two interns were female. And I was like, how much do you want to bet that this was on purpose? That they need to hire a female by like next year because both of us were graduating in a year. so you think
0: that that they hired you because you were female
1: partly like I feel like that was definitely a factor because I, I I definitely think it was it was one of those situations where it was too too uniform to be true so all of them were male between 28 and 32 all of them were kind of looking to get their next step in like going to junior management. And I Mm. think that they were looking for their next generation to come through. Mm -hmm. And I think they were like, no, we have to look for diversity. So I think from the company's point of view, they were like, we have to do this. Like we need to make sure that we're at least, at least they have worked with people of different to like backgrounds and stuff like that. We also want to make sure that if somebody's already worked there and they're an intern, we can give them a return offer and keep them within the company. And so I think mm-hmm. it was a very conscious decision from the company's point of view to make sure that that was a part of their process because the whole department was male, like eight or nine of them. And then the two interns they had were female. So the balance is like almost too good to be true. Um, I, I do want to say, I think we deserved the job. I don't think we got it just because <laughs> we were female, but yeah, we course, did a yeah. good job at it. But I definitely think that that was a conscious effort from their side if they were like, okay, We need to make sure that we're, especially when it comes to design, and there's a lot of ways that like women and men think differently because we are different, right? So I think they were just like, okay, we need some different perspectives around here. And I think the other thing that somebody pointed out was everyone there had grown up within five miles of the manufacturing facility. And so everyone was, everyone had never seen like a bigger city. They'd gone to college, like about 15 miles away. And so they were like, no, we need some, some people. So her, she was hired in from the East coast of Michigan. I was hired in from Indiana. So I think they were trying to pull a little bit of diversity. One of our other interns in the quality department was from Texas A&M all the way up in Michigan. Mm-hmm. So I think they were like trying to bring in new perspectives and new diversity in different ways, like not just, you know, gender and color, but mm-hmm. in all these different ways, different schools, different loyalties, all of those things. So that was definitely, but I never faced any discrimination. I actually, that was my first time reporting to an Indian boss. Uh, and so my manager was Indian and that was a first, which is really weird because I am Indian. <laughs> and so yeah. reporting to an Indian manager was it was new to me because I think it was very I think he reminded me of my dad. Let me phrase it that way. Like <laughs> and I feel like he also treated me like my like his daughter. He had mm-hmm. very high expectations for me. And so oh, okay. and it almost it I would cry certain days after work. I would call my mom, and I'm like, "I did a huge presentation. I thought I did really well." And he didn't say one word. All he said was, oh okay, "You have another, you have another due date next week." And I was like, oh this my is like, There's no words of affirmation. This is my dad all over again. Uh, but it it's so funny. At the end of the internship, like he couldn't be prouder, and he actually like really fought to bat for me to get a return offer, uh, which mm-hmm. I did get, and then I eventually due to like a whole scafuffle i turned it down and then another company the company i accepted had rescinded their offer so i missed out on that opportunity but he really went to bat for me and he made sure that i got the return offer and he's still one of my favorite mentors but it was a rough three months in there where he had he just knew that i could do more than i was giving and he was like it's either the killer or the stick i'm gonna give her the stick um but other than that until I came to Subaru I had never really felt conscious of my color or or you know like looking around the room and being like am I the only person who found that offensive like oh yep no just me Um, (laughs) so that was the first time I really started to notice it and then Mm -hmm. after that coming to the west coast was completely opposite um my first day I didn't realize this at all but my first day at work, um, my manager introduced me to the guy who I was backfilling. And the guy I was backfilling is a Sikh Indian. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Indian in manufacturing? <laughs> you're a unicorn. It's... And then he was like, no, there are like five of us here. And I was like, oh, what? And this was a this is a facility <laughs> that is one-sixth the size of Subaru. Oh, and
0: and okay, there were so... already
1: five times more Indians than Subaru yeah. had. And I was like okay I made a good call that's fine <laughs> I was I was really happy on my first day after I saw him and I was like you have I tell him now too and I'm like you have no idea seeing your face made me so happy he's like isn't that mm-hmm. racist And <laughs> like, no it's, it's good to see somebody that looks like you when you've come from an environment where you've been destroyed
0: oh my gosh that's hilarious
1: um. he's a funny guy <laughs>
0: So is that what really inspired you to pretty much start creating content online to help other people in their career?
1: Yeah, I think so. When I was at Subaru, with all the downtime that I had, you know, 10 hours of, I wasn't allowed to use my phone. So I had like a physical content calendar. I've been growing my community for over two years, but I rebranded twice. Uh, So I have been building connections for a while, but I wasn't sure what my final goal was going to be. Started off kind of on the skincare, clean living side. Moved over a little bit. I was actually thinking about a podcast for a bit. I was going to call it Absinthe with Adia, like Coffee with Mm Karan. And (laughs) I was going to call people and talk, but then it was a lot of coordination. So hats off to you. Uh, And finally, somebody told me they were like, you know, a lot of content creators work full-time jobs, but people don't really talk about it enough. And I was like, I didn't realize that people do should people talk about their full-time jobs and she was like well don't you yeah you've been through all of this stuff she's just like do you not want to talk about that do you not want to make sure that if there's another girl who's a sophomore right now what are the red flags that you should have known about or that you can now share with her that you wish somebody mm-hmm. had shared with you and I was like oh wait like you mean like people don't just have to like pretty pictures you mean I can build like a community and she was just like, "Yes, you can build a community. That's what Instagram's about." And I was like, "Oh, I never thought about that." So that's I rebranded. Um, I want to say summer of 2020, right after I graduated. Um, within like one or two months of work, I'd already experienced a lot of these things, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, let's start talking about these things. You know, let's make it normal." I was already job hunting, and I was like, "Let's see if I make this job happen." I think this will be one of the things where the pandemic was difficult on everybody and everybody's trying to get a job right now. Let's, let's see if I can help other people. And so that's where I kind of started off with, I still, I want, like, there are a lot of people I follow that are like very focused on just career coaching or how to get a job. And ultimately I don't, I always grew up fantasizing being a youtuber and stuff like that so I do still try to share a lot about my life as a career woman rather Mm -hmm. than like the career side itself I also know that manufacturing is only like it's a very small percentage of um what people from college go into obviously it's a big part of the workforce uh but I feel like my niche is super super small if I were to just focus on career stuff specifically but Mm -hmm. as as a broader thing I like to focus on kind of work-life balance or toxic work cultures, female empowerment, those kind of things that kind of all go around it. Also, I do – I really want to, but I don't want to call out some aunties, but, like, can we stop saying the whole you're 25, get married stuff? Like, I just want to have a career auntie.
0: Yeah. I think so many people experience that in Asian cultures, especially in South Asian culture so whenever I see those reels I'm like yeah you're not alone bestie <laughs> like because it just happens to so many of us and it gets normalized for years you know yeah. so no I love everything that you do um a lot of the stuff that you shared I was like wow I can't believe you've experienced that at work and then even in your own community you know culturally
1: and especially like I think it's really weird but like I want to uplift like other South Asian women because our community is not the nicest either. Like, especially the older generation. Like I've often been told that I'm, I work in the male industry for male attention or that I purposely live away from home because I like hate my parents and stuff like that. And I was like, no, I just, one, I want independence. Two, I enjoy my work irrespective of, you know, who's sitting at the next table. I'm going to do my work to the best of my ability. So I think it's, that's it's we need it from both sides, you know, like we need it if the workplace is telling us like, hey, you're you know, like you're not worthy of management, you gotta be white, you gotta be blunt, blah, blah. And then on the other side, you're also having our own community that's like, hey, you shouldn't be doing this either. And then you're just like, why am I even doing this? But then that's what I hope that when people question that, that they can come to my page and be like, I'm not alone.
0: Yeah, right. Cause there's like the Career development aspect of it where you're facing those challenges that in your career, but then also those personal challenges based off of just the culture or community that you come from. So, yeah, no, I'm glad that you talk about that.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a tough balance.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I totally get that. And then, do you have any advice for anyone who's looking into a career similar to yours?
1: I think. Honestly, the one thing I would say that's I think more evident in manufacturing than corporate is you really have to, you almost have to back yourself up. So I feel like feelings being a woman are less heard. And so you have to have the data to back up your decisions. It's not just like when I, before I say something in a meeting, I quickly will jot down some mental math and I'm like, I think this will give us a 16% savings. I have to add that at the end, especially if you're in more of a male dominated industry, I feel like you have to take just a little step further in order to prove your right and your kind of like your competence. But once you have made your competence known and people know your worth, it's a smooth sale from there. But I feel like it's, we're still fighting a little bit of the, not guilty until proven innocent, but like stupid until proven smart.
0: Yeah,
1: I, I think that's. I'm so yeah. Based. You're
0: definitely right about that. Yeah, I think I see that a lot. Where you're first assumed to be somebody who doesn't know uh, until you you you're not given the same amount of respect as your male counterparts, just because. You might be a woman, you know. In some cases, that happens. Not all the time, obviously, in engineering, but it does happen in a lot of more male-dominated engineering professions where you kind of have to work to prove your excellence or your knowledge and earn that respect. Versus if a male guy walks in, he automatically has that.
1: I think that's that's definitely one of the things, and I think definitely finding really good mentors that have, I want to say, I like to look for mentors that have two things in common with me. So for the most part, I will look for women. And the other part, I'll either look for a woman in like the particular field I see myself in five years, and or I'll look for another female minority in leadership or something like that. Having at least, I think, two points of commonality. If you have more, that's even better. Um, but having at least two really helps form that basic connection Um, it can be as simple as like somebody from your hometown or excuse me somebody who had gone to the same college as you uh, that can help start that connection and help strike that conversation and have somebody I think especially for women in the workforce like you want somebody to remember you when they hear about a job opportunity right so you, if they're sitting in a boardroom and they're, if they are in leadership and they're like, Hey, we have this new position opening up. Or do you think of anyone? Yeah. Oh my God. There's this girl. She keeps messaging me. We went out for coffee. Adia. Yeah. I think that's a great person for this role. We yeah, want to make really sure. Cool. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times if we fight for our, each and every opportunity, we'll burn ourselves out. We have to make sure that we're networking with the right people. We're getting in and our names are being shared in the rooms where the opportunities are. Right. So we want to make sure that we form our community and we keep growing it and we keep encouraging other people. And then I think largely once you feel stable in your position in life, do the same for somebody else. So once you feel like you have something to give, either go out and look for people and or just keep an open door. And if somebody comes to you, welcome them with open arms, because that's that's how we got to where we are is because somebody else helped us. And we want to always make sure. And there's this, there's this TV show um, called Working Moms, and yeah, I, was, I love that it. show. And she said yeah. one of the one of the I think she, one of them was getting um, interviewed, and she said, "Now that you've taken the elevator to the top, what are you doing to send the elevator back down for others?" And I think that's a really good question we need to ask ourselves, like at least once every six months or a year. What are we doing now that we have come to where we are? What are we doing to help others get to where we are? Especially as, you know, minority women, we want to make sure that we're doing that, you know, just make sure we're doing the best we can and giving everyone those opportunities that somebody else, we wish somebody else had given to us.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that is so important is like choosing your mentor is really important based off of the things that you mentioned, like the commonalities, having a female mentor. Those are things that I look for in a mentor as well, because, there's somebody that you can relate to and understand the specific struggle that you're going through, right? So everything that you said about that, you know, your advice was great. So thank you for sharing that. But what are some things that you like to do on your free time?
1: Things that are outside of engineering. So I'm I'm very I want to say I'm like very sly. I think is the right word. I took all my passions and I combined them into my Instagram. So I've actually been photographer since I was like 16. And so oh, yeah,
0: I saw that you you're into photography.
1: Yeah, so I use that in order to do my own photos. I've also been because I grew up wanting to be a YouTuber, I've been doing video editing since I was about 18 or 19. So I kind of use that to go into reels. And so it's kind of just all been really connected that I took all my passions and I pushed them into one direction because I have so many creative passions that I haven't been able to use in my engineering job. And I get to do that after work and I get to use it in one direction and growing the platform. And so the 30 day reels challenge was, it took the life out of me. Like I was so drained all of September, but I'm like so glad that I did it because it helped me cross the 10 K mark, which I've been trying to do for, well, since I started, you know, it's one of those first goals you have so it was it was truly truly like empowering and all the video editing or even like content creation and planning that went behind it really felt so worth it at the end of it and that's honestly like I want to say my friends say that I should do passions for fun now and Mm -hmm. I, I because they're like your Instagram is still strategic fun they're like you're not like just letting go and having fun and the thing is, it's so weird, but, like, I have so much fun with my Instagram. Like, I, lo- I come home and I'm, like, okay, I have this, this, this to do. Okay, let's get ready. You know, like, I'm so excited <laughs> about it all the time. And especially, like, sometimes my mom will call me. I'm, like, I'm in the middle of a real bye. And she's just, like, you sound like you're, like, really drunk or something. Like, you sound really happy. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm just high on adrenaline. Like, <laughs> so That's it's so really cute. weird. But, like, I want to say, like, I have strategic hobbies. Because now, yeah. like, like, it just kind of helped me push in one direction. I wish that I, I honestly, I always say this, I have no, like, free hand art skills. So, like, I've never mm-hmm. been, like a, like, a drawer or painter or anything like that. So, what I do is, everything I do is through a, a device. Either it's my camera or my phone or, like, something else or my computer. Everything has to be through a device because, like, I'm creative, but I'm also incapable of doing anything with my hands. <laughs>
0: yeah there's like the what is it I can't remember those apps on your iPad that you can procreate you can draw with. I don't know if you've tried that or not, but I tried that a few times. This is kinda <laughs> it is kind of hard
1: it is and like i get I get really disappointed with myself because I have a really good picture in my head and then mm-hmm. I fail to execute it, and then I get into this whole like down in the dumps feel and like I can't do anything whereas I don't know it's something about a camera it just makes me feel so much more confident where I'm like okay, this is the frame I want. This is the frame I got. I just need to change the lighting a little bit, but I'm good. Yay. Yeah. (laughs) And it's I Mm -hmm. think the camera, well, I mean, like a lot of photographers are like, obviously the camera doesn't do everything, but it's a lot easier to recreate because you're capturing something rather than recreating. Like when you're doing a picture from scratch, you're like making the trees here. I'm just taking the trees. The trees are just there.
0: yeah for sure (laughs) well congrats on reaching 10k i saw your reel about that and i was like yay and then you've been doing the 30 day reel challenge you know so that's definitely a lot of work
1: (laughs) it was really stupid but like i made a reel about reaching 9k and that reel helped me reach 10k Mm -hmm. like and i was like dang like that's the reel that went viral i should have (laughs) waited I should have. I was like, I should have either done it earlier when I was at like seven to maybe push me up to nine. But then I was like at nine, and then I'd had that reel sitting in in it for like in my folder for a while, and I was like, okay, let's post it today, you know? And I posted it, and then that's the reel that got me to cross ten k in like a week. And I was just like, whoa, I just announced nine, and I'm already at ten. I didn't plan my ten k photo shoot, which I was like, that was my reward to myself. I didn't do any of those things, and then I was like freaking out because I was still in the middle of September. It was like the first almost first week and then I, I reached out to a photographer I was like hey I want to do this shoot picked a date but obviously by and finally by the time the photo shoot came around I had hit 11k wow yeah so I was oh, like wow. well <laughs> should I change the balloons and she's just like no that seems like a petty number just stick to 10 <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the 30 reels <laughs> real was honestly I think like if there's any creators out there who are like trying to push their content out I would like highly recommend it each one is, like, very varied, and your engagement is going to be all over the place. I'm still working on, like, raising my engagement, but it, Reels really does push out to so many random people that it really helps. If anybody relates to your content, it they're going to find you through Reels right now.
0: Right now, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Reels are being pushed by Instagram a lot, yeah. yeah. Do you have any future plans that, you know, anything we could look out for?
1: I hope to have uh, some more formalized resources um, by like, I want to, I'm trying to do a launch in like around Christmas. So Mm -hmm. kind of a New Year's gift to the world. Um, So let's see if that comes through. There's a lot going on in my life personally right now. So I'm going to see if I'm able to I actually sprained my ankle like two weeks ago. It's been keeping me very immobile. But, oh. Yeah. So, let's see if it happens. I hope that I don't have to push it out um for good luck, I might push it out to like February if I'm not fully done yet. But I'm mm-hmm. hoping to have something launched by December. I'm also my website is under creation right now. I'm going through rebranding Ooh. with the graphic designer and once that's done, hopefully my website will be launched soon as well. So there's a couple of things on the horizon that I'm super excited to.
0: That's so exciting.
1: Yeah. So, where can everyone connect with you online? So currently, being that my website is under construction, so I had to take it down, um, my main point of contact is um, Instagram.com slash the Desi Career Woman. And or you can always contact me via email at the DesiCareerWomen at gmail.com. Um, I check that regularly. And if you know anybody's not super Insta savvy or anything, I always do emails. And I also do coffee chats every Tuesday. So 30-minute chats where anybody can connect with me. The link is in my Instagram bio. And any if mm-hmm. you want to schedule a call, get to know each other better. I am so excited. I've been doing this for like two or three weeks. And I've gotten to meet some amazing women. And I'm like so excited about it that I'm, just, I'm hoping to continue it. I thought it would just be for like a month. But I actually really love it so much that I'm going to keep it on. That's so cool. I love that. But yeah, it's it's good to make friends online. Honestly, I have more online friends than real friends. Not even. A yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's like a huge shift that happened after the pandemic, too. Yeah,
1: you for know? sure.
0: So, well, thanks so much for joining us. Of course. And sharing all your advice on some of the challenges you faced, the discrimination, the policies that have been implemented at some workplaces that are biased towards gender and age even, it seems like. It's really interesting to know that and recognize that in a company. I'm glad that you're able to find a company that better meets your needs and You know you're not really dealing with that anymore but i love that uh, the thing that you mentioned about like bringing down the ladder and that's pretty much what you're doing with your content creation and everyone that you connect with online so keep doing what you're doing (laughs) we're here to support you and yeah
1: and i'm here to support you your page has been one of the original og (laughs) engineering girl platforms right it's probably one of the only ones still that i do follow regularly relate to every single thing on there
0: yeah oh my gosh yeah it's been a lot of years and it's I just love that I love you know everything that we've done so far and the fact that we're just continuing to grow you know one step at a time now we have the podcast and I'm really excited to branch out and get more stuff
1: (laughs) yeah I'm excited to see what you have before
0: yeah well thank you so much and we'll stay in touch for sure bye Bye.